0: And uh, good afternoon, let me add my welcome to John T's, I'm Nick, I'm the Associate Minister here and I'll be uh, bringing God's Word to us, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon. Um, please do open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 84, Psalm 84, we'll be looking at that uh, shortly. Psalms, just not familiar with them, just open up your Bible roughly halfway through and you should get to uh, the Psalms or Isaiah, you'll be there or thereabouts. Let me pray. Father in heaven we praise you that you are such a good God. We've been hearing about your mercy and your love and your greatness already this afternoon and what a privilege it is to worship you and to hear you speak. Father we pray that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon. We pray that you would help us to gaze at his glory, to see his glory. And we pray that you would strengthen us for our journey to heaven. Father, please help me speak faithfully. Please help us all to listen keenly. And please, would, you, would your spirit humble our hearts and show us Christ. Amen. We'll read this psalm in a second. Um, start with a quote, "There, Sexual love is the strongest experience of satisfaction. Sexual love is the strongest experience of satisfaction. Not my words, uh, Sigmund Freud. But consciously or subconsciously, I reckon that most of our, or, or a large percentage of our society, our culture would agree with that statement. Sexual love is the strongest experience of satisfaction, but not everyone would agree with it. Uh, sex might not be your top priority. And maybe your greatest pleasure or your greatest desire or your greatest longing is something else. Maybe it's just popularity. You want people to praise you. and Maybe it's the idea hey, over the summer you long for. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you haven't experienced it. And that's why you long for it. A sandy beach, clear water, uh, fine dining. Maybe it's just more generally the idea of beauty. The idea of being beautiful or beholding beauty yourself. Maybe, again, summer times, family reunions, uh, your greatest longing or desire is a family harmony, family peace, a summer holiday, a Christmas holiday. Again, maybe you experienced it. Uh, Maybe you long for it because you haven't experienced it so far away. You long for a, a time of kindness and love and forgiveness and gentleness. That is your greatest desire. Maybe your greatest desire is security. You would do anything just to feel safe. Maybe I've not touched on your desire, but... Uh, Let me ask this question uh, to help you focus on your desire. Uh, Are your desires being met? Whatever they are, are your desires being met? Are your desires being satisfied? See, we've all got powerful desires, one way or the other, whatever it might be. We've all got powerful desires. Sometimes those desires will be good things. Sometimes they'll be less good things, even bad things. But whatever those desires are, they're very powerful. And uh, listen listen to what Proverbs says. Uh, in Proverbs early on, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. In other words, uh, your life is determined by your desires. What we desire, how we feel, what we long for, it really matters. And this psalm that we're about to read is all about desire. And it matters because our desires can do one of two things they can either draw us closer to Christ or they can lead us away from Christ. I've seen, as I suspect pretty much all of us will have seen, people move away from Christ because of unmet desires. But what Psalm 84 does is it points us to the greatest desire there is. It points us to the greatest satisfaction that there is uh, possible to behold. Not sex, uh, but knowing and being known by and meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this psalm encourages us to stick with him, stick with Christ when we are wrestling with unmet desires. So let me read that psalm now. I'll be reading from the ESV. So Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Well, Psalm 84, a favourite psalm for many people, a psalm that's full of delight, full of happiness, full of joy, full of longing. And I think it's a psalm that can be summed up as follows. Where can your deepest desire be fulfilled? Your deepest desire will be met in Christ. So stake everything on Christ. Where can your deepest desire be fulfilled? Your deepest, your deepest desire will be fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, stake everything on Christ. Now, I've said the psalm all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you read it? And you don't see the words of "the Lord Jesus Christ," but of course, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ says the whole of the Old Test- Testament testifies about Me in a number of different ways. But we see this psalm is about the Lord of hosts, verse 1, verse 8, verse 12, about the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is the one who the psalmist longs to dwell with. He wants to be in his house. And of course, that's Jesus, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ, whose name is Emmanuel, God with us. The one who promises to dwell with us by his spirit. And again, there's a reference to God's anointed one. That could say the Christ itself. So uh, this psalm is all about the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that as we go through the psalm, uh, this psalm's aim is to get us to long for and to be with Christ above all other things and to dwell with him. So we're going to start with the first four verses. And I think in these verses we see a hunger for home. Verses one to four, a hunger for home. And the psalmist starts off by talking about the place where God dwells, God's home, a place uh, where God is and how great it is. Verse one, uh, verse one, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The psalmist hungers for home, but it's not just God's home. It's a home for all those who will choose to dwell in it. All those who choose to move into this house. Verse four, are those who dwell in your house. It's not so much a physical house or a building or, or even a tent. Primarily God's home is where God is. Now, as we hear the first four verses about this home, we hear some words of delight, some words of desire. So again, verse one, it's lovely. God's home is lovely. He loves to be there. Verse two, he longs to be there. He faints to be in God's home. It's that good to be in God's presence. And again, verse two, his heart sings for joy. So fainting, singing for joy. He has like a physical reaction when he considers what it is like to be in God's presence. And it's a wonderful home for everyone and anyone who chooses to dwell there. Look at verse three, even the sparrow or the swallow, the sort of insignificant birds, even them. Anyone can find a refuge if they choose to come to this place. And this is a psalm we're actually going to sing later on in our service. And the Psalms are songs, they're praises meant to be sung. And it's not uncommon, is it, to sing about the things we love. Uh, children, do you ever consider why, why it is? Well, I guess all of us really have you considered why it is that um, supporters of sports teams sing the praises, don't they? They can't help but singing the praises of the people they're watching. You sing in, uh, you sing about what you delight in. And that's what the psalmist does. He sings for joy, Uh, he sings God's praises. I want to, again, if you ever noticed, if you look in the charts, how much uh, songs are about home. The lyrics of songs are so often about home. So, have a listen to Ed Sheeran's song, A Castle on, a, on the Hill, uh, 2017, so a few years ago now. Um, I, I absolutely love this song. I it doesn't say much of my taste, but I love this song. It's a really powerful song. And Basically, in the song, you've got Ed Sheeran, he's a bit older now, but he's sort of, I don't know how they do it, the video makes him look young. And he's just reminiscing about his youth. That's what he's doing. And he talks about how, where he grew up. And uh, he talks about all the fun he had with his friends. He talks about the joys he had when he considers those people who raised him. And at the end of each verse, he says, "I can't wait to go home." But it's not just uh, Ed Sheeran, uh, Adele, and uh, maybe for the staff team, Michael Bublé, uh, Leonard Skinner. You know, "Sweet Home Alabama." Again and again and again, there are songs about home. People long for home, and that is exactly what's being described in this psalm. Psalm 84 is a song about home because it's the place where the Christian belongs, but not just a building, not just a house, but where God dwells, where Christians belong to their Lord, where they're safe with their Lord, and it's just the most wonderful place to be. Now, I don't know how you feel when you read a psalm like this, My my initial reaction is very often along these lines. Okay, I know that going to be with God is the best thing. I know that being with God is the best place to be. But I rarely feel the way the psalmist feels. If I was to write a psalm about how I felt about heaven, yes, I'd write positively, but would I write quite like this? Would I write this strongly? Um, or, or even how, how the writers write about it in the New Testament. So consider the Apostle Paul. He says, I prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Are you looking forward to your death? Is that something that you, you treasure? Again, he says, the Apostle Paul, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Again, is that your desire? Uh, the point of this psalm isn't to say, oh, look, you just don't love God enough. That's not the, what it's doing. It's to show us just how wonderful it is to be with the Lord. It's say, look at how beautiful the Lord is who you worship. Do you appreciate how wonderful he is? You probably don't. I'm going to show you just how wonderful he is. As if to say, if you truly understand, understood how good your God in heaven was, this is how you would feel. Or more positively again, this is how you will feel when you come into the Lord's presence. This is what you are waiting for this total delight this total longing this christian is where you are heading so this hunger for home have you ever felt a hunger or a desire like this in anything else on this earth or if you have felt it uh, when you've attained it would you continue to describe it in this way or does the joy of it slightly peter out uh, after a while the point of this psalm is that being with God is the most wonderful thing. Being in His presence, something that all Christians can look forward to, is a delight that will never go away. It will not get boring. It will not fade out like every other pleasure on earth. It will just increase day after day after day. Now, alternatively, you might be thinking something like this: "Well, I, listen, I know heaven's going to be great, and I can't wait to get there, but it's so hard waiting." The Christian life is so hard. I'm just struggling so much. In fact, to be honest, I'm worried that I'll get there at all. I'm worried that I will keep clinging on. Well, that's what the next few verses, verses 5 to 7, are here to do. They're there to encourage us to keep going. And they're to encourage us that we will keep going. We we will keep going. uh, Because Christ will keep us going. And if verse 1 to 4 are all about hunger for home, uh, verse 5 to 7, are about strength for the journey. So, for hunger for home, 5 to 7, strength for the journey. Now, it's, again, if you read verse 5 to 7, you can see the psalmist is sort of describing a journey. So, verse 5, in his heart are the highways to heaven, uh, sorry, highways to Zion. Zion being the place where God dwells, the place where Christ rules. In his heart are the highways to Zion. That's where he wants to go. He's on a journey. Again, Old Testament, the sim- Zion, the symbolic place of the dwelling of God's king. And the point is, the psalmist longs to be there, but he's not there yet. He's on a journey. In verse 6, he describes a journey going through Baca, wherever that is, before getting to Zion. And that's something we really need to recognize in this psalm. The point of the psalmist journey, the point of Christian life is we're not there yet. We've not arrived at the final destination Yeah, And that's a really important thing for any Christian to grasp about the Christian life yet. We're on a journey. And children, I wonder if any of you uh, have been on summer holiday and uh, I wonder how the journey went. What's the sort of cliche? Are we nearly there yet? That's what you ask, because you long to be there, but you're bored on the journey, aren't you? Uh, Let me tell you about my just come back on holiday from Dorset. Uh, the journey started with a nail in the tire, so we had to get that replaced. Then during the journey, uh, a bike came loose on the bike rack. Uh, we were alerted to that by about 100 people flashing us behind us. We realized something was wrong. Had to pull over uh, on, the, on, on a motorway. Uh, then being a flash by a speed camera, got back two weeks later, find, thought thankfully it wasn't me, but uh, pretty stressful. Um, being rerouted by our phones uh, onto a toll road that was completely unnecessary, I'm paying an extra six quid for that. And then, literally, during the journey, I, I got tonsillitis during the journey. Okay? Now, I say all that, it's worked out as a great illustration. Okay? It wasn't a fun journey. But the point is, is that wasn't the holiday. The journey wasn't the holiday. Journey's something you have to do. Uh, to get through to get to the holiday but the journey is not the holiday the journey let me put it a slightly different way the journey is not the promised land when I was at a theological college about um, well I was 10 years anniversary it must have been about 10 years ago I was chatting with a few other guys and all of us well, not all of us a number of us were about to get married or just got married except for one guy and he'd been married for a fair bit longer and a godly guy with a good marriage but he said to this guys Marriage is not the promised land. Marriage is not the promised land. Again, such a helpful comment. Marriage is not the promised land. Nothing in this life is the promised land. The promised land is the promised land. Being with Christ is the promised land. And just on that particular point, that's so helpful for all of us. Again, uh, Freud's saying uh, sexual satisfaction is the deepest desire can be met. And a lot of us think, actually, yes, we, we've bought into that cultural view uh, that says it's our love relationship sex where the highest satisfaction can be met but that's not what this psalm says so whether you, you want to be married whether you're unhappily married or even happy mar- married you need to hear it's just part of the journey you're not at the final destination uh, marriage even a happy marriage is not where our dreams come true we're on a journey we're on a journey. And this life will have many dreams and aspirations. Some of them we will achieve, and some of them we'll miss out on. But here, here the psalm says, even the things you dream for, you, you are dreaming too small. You're dreaming too small because there's something far better. The Christian life is a journey, not the promised land. There is a promised land, and when you get there, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. But now is not it. So whether we achieve, achieve our dreams and still have an empty feeling, whether we miss out on our ambitions and, and are disappointed, the psalmist is reminding us that the good bits are still to come. Being in God's presence, one to four, that is the total joy. There's a story about a Polish rabbi. I don't know if is true, but I heard another preacher say this one. So I think it's a great story. Um, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Polish uh, rabbi. And this American tourist uh, comes, and he's a very famous rabbi. And he, he comes to meet with this rabbi and expects to meet him in this grand house. But he finds he has a tiny house. It's a very simple house. And in his house, he just has a few books on a bookshelf, um, a table and a chair. And the a tourist says, Rabbi, where is your furniture? And the rabbi replies, well, where's yours? Mine. Asked the tourist, I'm a visitor here. I'm only passing through. And to which the rabbi says, so am I. So am I. Now, I've no idea in that story what the rabbi thought of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not even optimistic, but it's such a helpful illustration, isn't it? Just passing through. That's all this life is. We're just passing through. Just passing through. We're not in the promised land yet. And that's good to hear, isn't it? Because life can be pretty tough. Life can be very tough. I guess with a straw poll, said, how many of us are finding life really tough at the moment? I imagine a third or half of us would put our hands up. That's an instinct. Asked how many of us have found it really tough in the last couple of years. Loads of us would be putting our hands up. This life is not the promised land. There is a promised land. We are but on a journey. But that's not to say this life is all doom and gloom. It's not just, uh, some people say the Christian life is suffering now, glory later. There's a sense in which there's some truth in that, suffering now, glory later. But perhaps it's better put this way, suffering and glory now, only glory later. You see, verse 5 to 7 are not just about a journey. They're about strength for the journey. Did you see strength comes up three times in these verses? Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. As God gives strength to these pilgrims on the journey... Uh, they go verse 7 from strength to strength and as we head to heaven to meet with our Lord Jesus Christ face to face he has promised to give us strength for the journey he has promised to help us uh, get there the Lord Jesus Christ promises his spirit to his people doesn't he and he promises that his spirit will strengthen them to keep going I guess, children, we all know, don't we, that the Christian life is not easy. Adults, we know that the Christian life is not easy. But do you remember how God promises, Jesus promises to send his spirit to be a helper? And by his spirit, he helps us on the journey. Let's think about how that might work. The Holy Spirit gives us joy, doesn't he, to look to the future when our present circumstances can seem pretty grim. Do you remember the Apostle Paul uh, singing for joy when he was in chains in prison? We can have joy despite present circumstances. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us, and he'll keep us going on the journey. The Holy Spirit gives us patience in the present. When we're not finding our desires met, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we have a great treasure in Christ. The Holy Spirit can give us self-control. When we're tempted to take uh, the road off the highway to Zion, we're tempted to uh, take the slip road off the road to uh, self-actualization, self-realization, destinations that are never actually arrived at. The Holy Spirit can help us. So now I'm going to have self-control. I'm going to keep going. And and in this song, the song reminds us that the Christian life is not just a journey. It is a journey. But in that journey, it's a journey where the Lord Jesus Christ, by his spirit, will strengthen us. And those who look to him will go from strength to strength. I was a preacher in England a few hundred years ago. And he was called the sweet dropper. Because people used to love to listen to him talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. They used to love to listen how gentle he was. They used to love listening to him about how wonderful heaven was. And he blessed others Along the way, it's not just preachers though who can be this blessing. Now, I was told by a friend of mine once how she went on a plane journey and she had to get a flight, and she, had to, she was with this guy, and going, you know, you just meet a million people going for an airport. Um, and as she went through this airport uh, with him, it was like he was a ray of sunshine to everyone he met, to the check-in staff, to the passport control, to the security scanners. He left happiness wherever he went because he was full of joy and full of kindness and full of gentleness and full of patience. He was, he was not like your typical passenger going through, just thinking about themself all the time. Uh, what, a, what a blessing a blessing. Uh, He was. And that is what Christians can be as they go on their journey to Zion. And that's the picture that's painted of verse six. The Psalms describes those who are going through the valley of Baca. Again, hard to know this place was, but but consider a dry place, an arid place, uh, a a place that's quite hard to live in. But as uh, people who are heading on their way to Zion go through arid places Uh, They make them into place of springs. Again, verse six, they bring blessing. They bring uh, life and vitality. And so the Christian on his journey to heaven, on her journey to heaven, is a blessing to those around them. And that's why it's so wonderful for unbelievers to have believers uh, in their lives. If you're a believer, it's likely that you are a blessing to your unbelieving friends. You might often, not, not, might often feel like it. Very often you might well feel hostility from your unbelieving friends because you stand for, you're the aroma of Christ to them. And yet at the same time, to these same people, they will not be able to deny that you're also a blessing to them. Maybe your unbelieving friends, families, uh, uh, neighbours, uh, colleagues. Maybe they're refreshed by your non-cynical conversation. When you focus on the good, wherever you can find it. Maybe your colleagues uh, love working with someone who's honest and reliable and timely and hardworking and servant-hearted. Maybe uh, your family appreciate the fact that since you've been a Christian, you're so much quicker to forgive, so slow to hold a grudge. As you journey to your true home, in heaven. Not only will God help you get there, not only will he strengthen you on your journey on the way, you will be a blessing to those around you. So, verse 1 to 4 a hunger for home, but will I make it? Verse 5 to 7 yes, God will give you strength for the journey. But there's actually an even bigger guarantee of the treasure promised in verse 1 to 4. As we look at the last five verses, verse 8 to 12, where we see the psalmist's confidence in Christ. There's a great confidence he has in Christ. Yes, God will provide strength for us to continue as believers in this life. So it's good to look for him. But actually our security, our foundation, our our confidence to approach Zion is in something even greater than God's help now. It's in God's anointed. So look at verse eight to nine. Let me read them again. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God, to Jacob. So there's a prayer going on now. What is he asking for? What is he asking for? Behold our shield, O God. And this is the key bit. Look on the face of your anointed. Look on the face of your anointed. We could say, look on the face of your Christ. Look on the face of your Messiah. And his desperation to get home, the psalmist Prayer is not for himself, but for God's anointed, God's king. Verse 9, look on the face of your anointed. It's quite possible when the psalmist is writing, he is outside of Israel at this point. He's way outside of Zion. In fact, he's a prisoner. He's in captivity in Babylon. And he still longs to be home in Zion. And his prayer is that God looks on the face of Israel's king. Because, well, Old and New Testament, the hopes and the future of God's people are bound up in the hopes and the future of their king. So if their king is blessed, then the kingdom will be blessed and the people in that kingdom will be blessed. If the king is cursed, if the king is unfaithful, then it won't go well with the people either. And so here the psalmist, quite rightly, appeals to God to look on the face of the king and to bless the king. And he does that in order that he, the psalmist himself, will get to Zion. And that is the same hope for Christians today. Yes, we seek to be faithful to Christ and we seek to do everything we can to make it to our home for heaven. And on the way, we appeal to our Father in heaven to give us strength for the journey. But in all this, we must remember that our security, our confidence, our deposit, as it were, our guarantee is in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is God's anointed king. And God has looked upon him in favor. And the king today is in Zion. The king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he is the guarantee that we will get there as well. That's, that's again, that's New Testament language. That's what the Apostle Paul says of Christians. You also were raised with Christ through faith in the power of working of God, who raised Christ from the dead. And he goes on. If then you have been raised with Christ, seat the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is at the right hand of God. Spiritually speaking, you are there as well. And one day, physically speaking, you will be there too. And here's the thing, because Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father, we are guaranteed to be there one day ourselves too. I think that's what's going on here. It's the force of guarantee. The psalmist's confidence is in the anointed. And the reason his confidence uh, in in God's anointed is because God's promises are all around uh, God's anointed. God has guaranteed that a thing go well with a king, they will go well with the citizens of that kingdom. And of course guarantees have have uh, have purpose, don't they? When when companies uh, issue guarantees it's because they want us to commit to their product, don't they? So the one I always remember is John Lewis. I don't know why it's two years on electricals, five years on TVs. Strange things to remember, isn't it? John Lewis, why why are they giving those guarantees? It's so we commit. It's so we commit to John Lewis. Again, why would you rather, rather buy a car from a garage than an individual? Could be a few reasons, but one is a garage will often give you a warranty, won't they? Whereas an individual won't. It's to get you to commit. Uh, to commit, to go with them. And that's what's going here. There's a guarantee. There's a guarantee. When we look at Christ, we look on the face of the anointed, we see how God has blessed the anointed. So he will also bless those whose hope is in him. And so the psalmist says, great confidence in Christ and we should too. Sometimes, personally, I wonder if I will last a distance as a Christian, I think of all the things that could potentially knock me off my stride. I don't think it's a particularly helpful way of thinking, but that is often where my mind goes. It's it is hard being a Christian, but very often uh, where I'm looking is the wrong place. I start asking myself, "Will I? Will I? Will I? Will I? Will I?" It's the wrong question, isn't it? The question. I should be looking at myself. I should be looking at Christ. Has Christ? Has Christ? Has Christ? Not will I get there, but has Christ got there? Because if Christ has got there, then I'll get me there too. But the strength of this guarantee is meant to get us to commit to Zion. So yes, we're getting there. But that's not the only thing that's meant to get us uh, to commit. There's the comparison of how wonderful Zion will be for those who arrive in it. Look at verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Home with God will be a thousand times better than anything we could possibly experience on earth. Even just think about what what is your greatest dream? What is your greatest aspiration? What is the thing that you would like more than anything else that you could see even as a remote possibility on this earth? Or times that by a thousand, the psalmist is saying. And that's what Zion will be like verse 11 no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly it's a remarkable verse isn't it no good thing will he withhold do you ever as a christian think i'm missing out just a bit you're not really don't you know, say publicly you're even ashamed to think about yourself but you something i am missing out a bit If only I didn't give so much uh, money to church or to supporting missionaries, I'd have more money for fun, more money for fun, more money for fun, Uh, better food, a nicer house, a holiday, better clothes, things to do with my children. If only I wasn't a Christian, I would be more popular in this world. I'd be better respected. People would look up to me more. If only I wasn't a Christian, I'd have more options for a marriage partner. Where do you feel you're missing out? Because we often feel it. I guess that's Satan's voice, isn't it? You're missing out. You're missing out. What is the one pleasure you think you'd have if you weren't a a Christian? And look at verse 11 again. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Verse 10 puts it slightly differently. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, it's better to be on the edge of God's blessings than to be in the center of the blessings that the world offers. And Psalms is confident in Christ because the blessings he receives when he gets home will far surpass anything he could have dreamed on in earth. And again, New Testament language. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Every longing we ever experience on this earth will somehow, maybe not in quite the way we expect it, but somehow be fulfilled when we get home. If I could guarantee to you that the value of a certain share was going to increase a thousand times uh, this year. Obviously I can't, but if I could, if I really could guarantee it, what would you do? You would get every single penny you could possibly get your hands onto and invest in that share, wouldn't you? If I could guarantee it. What the psalmist is saying here is I can guarantee it. Christ's death and resurrection has guaranteed it. That there is something that is a thousand times better Than you could ever experience on earth and why is he telling us that he's getting us to commit everything to christ to commit totally to christ to stake everything on christ because he's worth it because he's worth it christ will meet our greatest desires creates a hunger for us to get home he will provide strength for the journey He will help us. If you're struggling, look to him for help. He will help you and put your confidence in Christ. Really have confidence that this future described in Psalm 84 is your future. And it is far better than anything else. This earth offers to be with Christ is the greatest thing on offer. And it's yours. So keep looking to him. Let's close in prayer. Let's pray that we would have this hunger and this confidence that the psalmist has. Father in heaven, your word is wonderful. It is like honey on the tongue. Father, very often you know that we are quite lukewarm towards being with the Lord Jesus Christ face to face in glory. You know how quickly we are to look uh, or to want to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Father, forgive us. Father, help us to believe your promises. That better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Father, give us great confidence that you are the one who strengthens us off the journey. Will we look to you for strength? Teach us to be those who pray daily for your strength and teach us to be those who have great confidence that we will be in Zion one day facing the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoying being with him and help us therefore to persevere in this life as hard as it gets, knowing that we have a great future and that we might be a blessing to those who are around us. We ask these things for our good and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.